I am Tova Cito. I believe our lives should be happy, healthy, and abundant. And I believe it's our job to get us there. Every week, I will have inspiring, educational, and fun conversations that will help you live your very best life. Welcome to The Remedy. Everybody, and welcome to the very next episode of The Remedy with Tovacito. We are so grateful to have you joining us here today and hope that you are having a great week. I know a lot of people are getting settled into another new normal with kids going back to school, kids doing virtual learning. And so um, I hope wherever this finds you today that you are having a happy and positive and really good day. And we're so glad that you have tuned in to us. Um, really want to thank the sponsor of today's episode. Uh, today's episode is sponsored by my dear friend, Kitty Williamson. Um, Kev, we were here recording yesterday and I had to hurry and race out because it was Kitty's birthday. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, you told me you were going it, to a shindig. Yeah, it was her big birthday dinner, and we had so much fun. Well, happy birthday, Kitty. Yes, happy birthday, Kitty. And thank you so much. Her and her husband, Buster, and their family are like family to me, and they are huge uh, supporters and fans of The Remedy and what we're doing, and um, they... They have given a lot. They've they've paid a lot of your light bills, Kevin. Excellent. Thank you. <laughs> Probably electricity and maybe a, a mortgage or two. Maybe. <laughs> but I'm very grateful to them because um, they have been, not only are they amazing, wonderful friends, but uh, they're great encouragers and supporters of what we're doing. So they've sponsored today's episode. And so Kitty and Buster, thank you. We really, really appreciate it. Okay, so I'm really excited, uh, Dr. Barnes, that you are back with us today. Um, so thank you. Thank you for coming yes. and, and welcome. Well, I'm equally excited, maybe a little more excited. I really appreciate <laughs> this opportunity, Tova, to be with you. Well, you're such an awesome host. Oh, that's such a nice thing to say. Well, you're such an awesome guest, and <laughs> you are such a wealth of knowledge. And um, I, before we before we started recording, I, I think I asked you, like, are you getting a lot of my referrals? Because I mean, <laughs> if there is, if there is one guy in, and I don't know if you do Zoom, and and because we have a lot, we have thousands of listeners outside of Dallas. So I don't know if you counsel yes. people outside of Dallas, but you are. Yes, we do now, especially oh, good. Uh, the COVID has, you know, opened up, opened up the virtual the opportunities yeah. a lot more. So that is uh, a growing part. Yeah. Well, I mean, if if people are having marital relationship, couples stuff, um, I, I just don't think there's anybody better than you. That's just the truth. Oh, you, shucks. You, well, you're, thank you. You're fantastic. You you have helped me a lot personally. So I I really appreciate your wisdom and insight. And I'm really excited about our topic today. Um, yes. We had you in the studio a while back, and you mm -hmm. alluded to a lot of the things that were coming. Um, we had we have talked about sex before, 
but we had, uh, you were talking about a book you were writing and some yes. conferences and seminars that you were going to be doing. And so I'm just wondering in the midst of COVID, we're going to talk about your book today, which I'm super yes. excited about, but, uh, where is all of that? Because weren't you going to do some things with your wife as well? Yes. Yeah, so, okay. uh, give us an book, update. Uh, the book, I just got the author's copy Friday, so that's brand new, and, and the public will be another couple of weeks, I think, mm -hmm. before it's available. Uh, I think the other thing you're talking about was a nonprofit organization that we started called Zoe, Z-O-E, yes. Life Institute. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's the part that COVID has put on hold in terms of group gatherings and trainings. Yeah. And so we'll, we'll just have to kind of see how that plays out. Well, in the but, meantime, yeah. I know you're really busy with your personal practice. Are you still teaching and doing stuff at uh, DTS? Oh, yes. Okay. Yes, that's uh, going strong. In fact, last week we just completed a one-week intensive, a Monday to Friday, eight to five summer school course Ooh. on human sexuality. Oh, so I wish I could have um, gone to that. Yeah, we. It's fun to kind of advertise it and to see how it's grown on campus. It's wow. Um, we advertise it as a lot of sex in one week. <laughs> so did it sell out in like and so two it minutes? Is the most popular elective <laughs> on campus, I've been told. So. Uh, that's awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. Wow. That's really, really cool. Um, okay. So today, and I've not read your book. I can't wait to read your book, but we are talking about um, a book that you just finished um, called Sanctified Sexuality. And it looks like yes. you wrote it with a woman named Sandra. Is it Glon? Yes. Sandy Glon. Mm -hmm. uh, she's a colleague, a fellow professor. Mm -hmm. at the seminary where I teach. And so she is actually the real editor. Mm. Uh, I was just kind of the come alongside editor. Uh, but she, she's really, really good. Well, I bet uh, she but, would say the same thing we, about you. We, we team together mm -hmm. and um, we are really uh, feeling good and grateful for uh, what has come together in this book. It's been like a six year project actually. Wow. Uh, and it involves 22 contributors, experts in the fields of theology, biblical scholars, Hebrew, Greek, clinical psychologists, and also physicians. So the field of medicine. So, wow. um, we were trying to bring, uh, the best perspectives, from individuals who are experts in their little sub areas all mm -hmm. around this topic of sexuality. Mm -hmm. I have to say when, when you sent me the table of contents, I mean, I, I didn't, you know, how I, how I go. I don't like to know a whole lot before I have a conversation because I want everything I hear <laughs> to be, to, to be experiencing it for the first time. But I, did read your table of contents. And I have to say this, I mean, I cannot wait to get my hands on this book because when you, 
I mean, when your podcast before on sex, I, I was having, I told you I was having lunch with a girlfriend earlier today and we were talking about this podcast and what I loved about the podcast that you and I did before is it wasn't, you didn't, you, and, and this is what I love about the way that you counsel as well. It's not like, um, everything that you do is research. It's like, it's just the facts. It's just the facts. And so you have all kinds of amazing topics in this book. In fact, it's, let me go back and see. It's 29 chapters that I won't read all of them, but they include these topics that are, are so, so relevant to our culture and, and, and yet, um, you know, so controversial things like uh, gender dysmorphia, same-sex attraction, yes. sexual yes. orientation, pornography, prostitution, rape, um, research trends on cohabitation, uh, sex in marriage, uh, how to make ethical decisions, which I don't think a lot of people even consider when it comes to yeah. sex. Uh, yeah. Male and female in the Genesis creation. Uh, oh, I loved this one, and I want to know all about this, is chapter five, male and female in interpersonal expression. Yes. Uh, adolescent sexuality, adolescent and young adult sexuality, sexuality, celibacy, what the Bible says about it, reproduction, contraception, infertility. I mean, this is good stuff. Cover the bases. Yeah, I don't think you missed a lot. <laughs> 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 so let me ask you, Dr. Barnes, what, what, why are you so passionate about this? I mean, I, yes, that's a good question. Yeah. Why would you, I I mean, you have that. to be really, really, really passionate about something to, to research it, to write about it. I mean, this, this gets you, you're passionate about this. This yeah. makes your heart beat. So why, it is. where does it's this come great. from? Well, you know, and that might I, be a really, really personal question, uh, but I'd love yeah, to know. I think it's more of a general development over time. There's not one like big specific thing I can point to. You know, I did grow up as a Southern Baptist preacher's kid mm -hmm. in a very conservative uh, upbringing mm -hmm. and religious upbringing. And um, I, I got some good things and some tough things out of that background. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, the good thing was um, I heard that there was a message outside of time and space that leads us to elevate sexuality beyond the world's understanding of sexuality. And so that was a really positive thing. Mm -hmm. But the actual outworking, so there's a difference between like the theology and the operational theology. So the, the theology was good. Sex is to be elevated. It's a sacred thing, and it's a good thing. Mm -hmm. But then the operational theology didn't really seem to fit with it. And it was kind of, well, so, so how do we instruct our youth growing up from a theological perspective? And about the best they could come up with was don't do it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
And so, you know, those two things didn't really go together. And um, so I'm, I'm really glad for the good, but I felt kind of challenged by the operational theology part. And then, you know, you have your own personal life experiences as a sexual being that's not a perfect being and you're not in a perfect world. And so it's so easy for your experiences to get off track yep. with sexuality. Yep. And, um, which you know, I think hard. probably it's, everybody listening is probably yeah. shaking their head. Like, if, yep. if you're a sexual being and you are, if mm -hmm. you're alive, mm -hmm. then I know that's your experience. Sure. Yep. And, um, you know, it's, it's hard to grasp how this elevating thing can really happen in reality. Uh, and then, you know, so that's kind of my own personal experience as well. And then, um, you know, being a student at seminary, um, I kind of got a little bit of a, a boost on the elevated theology part, but really no help on the operational theology part. Mm -hmm. uh, and the interesting thing is, you know, as I went through my graduate training and ended up becoming a, a PhD in clinical psychology, and I, I looked back on my theology training and my professional psychology training, I never had one course in sexuality. And that's crazy you if you think about that. that. Is even possible? No, no, I really can't, especially when it takes up so much space in the church and it has driven millions of people away from the church. Yes. And so that was really yeah. what motivated the book. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, one of my best friends, Kurt Neal, is a filmmaker. Maybe you know him. You know everybody. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, in my last sabbatical, we were talking about what I was going to do. And so Kurt and I ended up being co-producers of a 90-minute documentary called Compelling Love. Mm. And it was addressing the life struggles and difficulties of everyone around the topic of sexual identity and gender identity. Mm. Wow. And so, um, where can people have, watch this? Where, where so, can, uh, it's a free viewing or downloading on the website, compelling love film.com. Okay. I've, I, I don't think I've, I don't think you've told me this or you've I, shared I this with me, haven't. but yeah, I, I sure want to watch that. Yeah. And so I, I just give you the short version of it okay. without being a spoiler. So, uh, you know, we are raising the question uh, because as you look out in the world, you see what a difficult thing it is on how people deal with the differences yep. around sexual identity and gender identity. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Kurt, who's an artist, had this visual image of what would it be like for us to all come to the table and who would be across the table from you? Mm. And this would be a person that differs from you around these topic areas and might even bring distress to you around mm. these topic areas. Mm. And so we're, we're kind of highlighting the need for a different way 
of us moving towards one another, especially around our differences and especially around difficult topics like sexuality. Yeah. It's really and so I'll, I'll just say that much about the documentary. And then, you know, we have other things that are going on similar to this time, um, like the Supreme Court decision on same-sex marriage in 2015. And then we're seeing the Christian community, a lot of really well-intended and, and good people, mm-hmm. but also misguided and misinformed, doing a lot of damage even with their good intentions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so this is where Dr. Glan and I were having a conversation in the faculty lounge one day and just saying, oh man, this is, this is so hard and there's gotta be something we can do to try to impact this in a positive way. Here we are working at a seminary, training ministry leaders, what can we do? And so we said, well, let's, let's make a new course mm. and, and let's make it a course on sexuality and ethics and let's just help people get informed and let's fully embrace God's revealed truth, but also discovered truths from research. And let's bring these together and we'll bring them together with experts in the field. So it's not just you and I trying to talk about all the different topics, Uh, but everybody will have in common this foundation that we're working from that says we do believe that God is the source of all truth, whether it's revealed truth or discovered truth, and we're committed to the truth of God, Mm -hmm. but we're also committed to being followers of Jesus as examples of being full of grace and truth. Mm, I like that a lot. And so that's the thing that I think you'll find in the book that every contributor will be characterized by that. Mm. And they're, they're, they're not all the same, you know, they have their different views and thoughts and, and areas of expertise. But I, one of the things that I love about the um, endorsers of the book is that was the thing that they were able to pick out is the, the theme of um, bringing grace and truth together on these difficult topics. I love, I love that because those are, that's exactly the kind of book, especially with a Christian bent, um, that I want to read. I want to know the truth. Uh, I want to know what the Bible says. I want to know what the research shows us, but I also want grace <laughs> for, yes. for myself when when I slip slip up or fall away or or don't lean into don't lean into the truth. And so I really appreciate that perspective. And I have to say, I think that it it really is something that is so needed, especially when it comes to sexuality. I mean, I was like you, Dr. Barnes, I did not grow up Baptist, but you know, I grew up Mormon and there was one rule about sex that it was bad. It was wrong. And you sure as hell better not do it. (laughs) And 
So I'm not sure which one of those is worse. That's pretty bad, but it's even (laughs) more confusing to hear that it's good, but don't do it. Right. (laughs) Exactly. But then all of a sudden, you know, my parents, it was like, you will be a virgin when you get married. You will not have sex before you get married. And then all of a sudden you get married and sex is supposed to be wonderful and you're supposed to have no inhibitions and, you know, you're supposed to embrace your sexuality and this is a gift from God. And it's like, wait a minute, yesterday I was going to hell if I did this. And today it's the, it's a gift from God that I, you know, and I should, where's the magic switch that I throw (laughs) now? How do I hang from a chandelier when yesterday I was going to hell? (laughs) Yeah. So I, I really appreciate, uh, I really appreciate you take, because it's not easy. I mean, it is uh, yeah. not an easy topic. I mean, people, right. you know, I've been, I worked at a church for 10 years and I can't tell you how many people came into my office from, you know, 13 year olds to 80 year olds. Is sex, is sex outside of marriage wrong? And how far can I go before it's a sin? Right, right, right. <laughs> Oh my God. Let let me just, before we leave that topic, just say um, chapter eight by Doug Rosenau is an awesome chapter that addresses that whole thing you're describing right there. So adolescent and young adult sexuality. Oh yeah. So, you know, one of the things that we easily get wrong uh, in the church is to say that you're not really a sexual being until you get married. That's not true. Not true. So, <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead and say that that's not true. You're a sexual being <laughs> and you're not married. Mm. You're still a sexual being, <laughs> yes. right? And so uh, Doug does, does an awesome job of helping to answer that question. That's good. I'm, I'm going to need to read that chapter to my kids. I mean, I talk about it with my kids all the time. My kids are 16, good. 16, 15, and... We talk a lot about sex, and they know exactly how I feel. But uh-huh. I also want them to know that, like, for them to have desires and to look at a girl and think she's beautiful or to look at a guy and have a feeling is, it, you know, temptation is not a sin. It's right. We're all tempted, you know, yeah. and and. Yeah, I wish somebody told me when I was young that temptation was not a sin because I felt like if I was even looking at something or had a thought or had a feeling that I was a sinful, disgusting, you know, slutty, you know, that that was a sin. And I, I just love that you are giving permission to people to be a sexual being outside of marriage. Yes, and so much of this is helped just by being able to have good definitions and also good distinctions, Mm -hmm. you know. um, So, like, we would even want to make a distinction between a temptation and an attraction. Mm. So help help us with that. What is that? So if, um, you know, a definition for me for temptation would be a solicitation to evil. Mm. You know, it's it's an invitation to choose apart from God's way. Mm-hmm. Whereas an attraction, particularly a sexual attraction, could definitely go in that direction. Mm-hmm. But I could I could have 
a um, sexual interest, a sexual attraction to the beauty of it, mm-hmm. not to the negative part of it. Mm-hmm. So I could be attracted to, to the God part of it, mm-hmm. not the part that goes against God. Mm-hmm. How, do, how can you give us an example of that? That makes sense in my mind. Yeah. But can you give an example of that? Yeah. So let me, let me give you a, an example this way. So uh, when I first worked at the seminary, I was the director of counseling services. And, uh, and then I just did a little bit of um, instructing, and then I went to full-time instructing later. But uh, when I was in that director of counseling services role, it was a very common experience for me to have uh, seminary students, advanced seminary students, who had you know been there for like four or five years even, so they had really accumulated a high level of training theologically mm-hmm. at that point in time. Uh, and, and they would come because they were struggling with sexual attractions. And, and their common request was, oh, please, please help me to not have these sexual attractions. Or could you pray with me that God would take away these sexual attractions? And so, you know, my response immediately would be, oh, I, I will be glad to pray with you, but I, I want to pray that God would actually maintain your sexual attractions <laughs> and that you would be a good steward of those mm. Mm. and that you would grow and benefit from those sexual attractions because God has a special intention for you mm-hmm. with those sexual attractions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, we have quite a church history of big time church leaders struggling with the same thing yeah. and going to radical ways of dealing with that, even castration as a solution, yep. you know. And so uh, we, we've not got a good history <laughs> on how to be sexual beings and also lovers of God at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yep. We're, we, I, I, even as, you know, working at a church for 10 years, I, I often fumbled with the counsel of that because it's hard. It's a yeah. really, it's a really hard thing. I mean, it's a really difficult thing to to reconcile, it's a really difficult thing to give advice about. I mean, there's some things that are very black and white uh, to me, and yet there's a whole bunch of things that there's a lot of gray. And and I think that's why your book, I mean, I look at all these topics and I really cannot wait to read. And, and what I appreciate, and I've already said this, but what I appreciate is so much of how you counsel and how you work is biblical and research. So you find the biblical and then you back it up with the research. And the amazing thing that I have learned from you, Dr. Barnes, is that research backs up the Bible. Like, yeah, you I love that. Yeah. I you taught me that. that. You taught yeah. me that. Like the Bible says one thing and, and, and yet research over and over and over again, time and time again, backs up um, the biblical truths. Yes. 
So, um, go ahead. There is an important clarification there because some of the listeners might might be hearing that and say, well, I I have an experience that doesn't match up with that. Mm -hmm. And so what we're not saying is that all truth claims are true. Oh, yes. That's a real important clarification. Yes. I'm so glad you said that. But what we Mm -hmm. are saying is that if it's, in fact, true truth, whether whether if it's coming from good theological understanding of truth or good psychological research understanding of truth, if it's true truth, it will never be in conflict with itself. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. there's problems in our way of understanding and pronouncing what our claim of truth is. Mm-hmm. And so I could have a wrong interpretation of theology, or I could have a wrong interpretation from research. See, my, my research method might not be good, mm-hmm. and then my truth claims are really not true, even though I might say research says Mm-hmm. Not all research is good research. Yeah, yeah, no, that's and true, and that's a really important not distinction. All theological interpretation is good theological interpretation, and that, and, and that's why true. we get conflict <laughs> of truth claims. Yeah, but there's never a conflict of true truth. Yeah, and I think that's a really important thing to say because I think that there are a lot of people who've kind of given up on the Bible and given up on the church because of that conflict, because of all that conflict. It's like, nobody knows. It's kind of like COVID, you know? What do we really know about COVID? (laughs) Yeah, what can you trust? (laughs) What can we trust? Nothing, because it's all in conflict. And it it kind of feels the same way a lot when it comes to this. That is a really great point. (laughs) (laughs) So I have to say, I really love, okay, the title of your book is Sanctified Sexuality, but I really love what you write underneath it. And it says, Valuing sex in an oversexed world. So yes. what I would like to know, Dr. Barnes, is from you and, and your wisdom is, do you believe that, I know that everybody, and I'm one of them, talks about access. You know, the access that we have to technology, phones, pornography, uh, you know, Facebook, our past um uh, and how all of that access has increased sexuality. I don't know if that's, it seems like that's true. I don't know if that's true. My question to you is, has our world always been oversexed and it's just um, so easy for it to be manifested because of Instagram, pornography, uh, access to your old girlfriend on Facebook, um, you know, have we always been an oversexed world or are we in a different place today than we have been in our past? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, in, in the very last chapter, I, I tried to address that, I think, with uh, on page 361, there's a diagram and it's a picture of a slope. And at the top of the slope, uh, is what I refer to as sacred sexuality. But then the slippery slope is you tend to slide in one direction or the other. Mm-hmm. And so you, you can slide in the one direction of demonizing sex, 
And you can also slide in the other direction of deifying sex. So in, in demonizing, what I'm doing is I'm saying sex is all bad. It's all leads to bad things. Don't do it. I'm denying that I'm a sexual being or I might make exceptions for procreation, but I'm really not supposed to enjoy it. And so it's that whole thing of um, sex is bad and, and it kind of comes goes all the way back to Gnosticism when we say spirit good, body bad. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so we have a long, long history of that happening. But you can go back to the very same time in history and see the other side of the slippery slope. And that's where we're deifying sex. And so we're taking sex and we're trying to make it so important that we're making it to be the source of things that it was not ever designed to be the source of. And that, that's what I'm referring to as deifying it. Okay. We're, we're making it a God mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in our life. Mm -hmm. See, Now, what's happened recently that's never before happened is the information revolution. Mm -hmm. And so the Internet is kind of making our globe very small. <laughs> and, and so um, through the internet, we're much, much more influenced by ways that we could have been protected from before or isolated from before. Yep. And so that, that's a total game changer. And so if you look at the rise of pornography, for instance, now, there's no comparison on the exposure and the use and the pervasiveness of pornography now compared to before the Internet. Mm -hmm. And there's the, uh, what they refer to as the triple A model, and that's affordability, accessibility, and anonymity. And so those things just never existed uh, to the extent that they do now. And yep. so that, that's a huge factor that's yep. changed things. Yep. But the slippery slope thing has gone on all through time. And that's because we're all sexual beings. But now on this side of Genesis 3, we're all broken people in a broken world. And so, you know, you could also say there's even spiritual warfare that's going on that intensifies all this. Mm -hmm. And and so this slippery slope has always been a factor. Sure. Yes. Yep. It's just the access to everything has changed. That's a total game changer. Now. Yeah. You know, it's I, I agree with you. I mean, I look at. And, you know, my parents, uh, as I grew older, they, I thought they were perfect and I thought they both waited to have sex to, before they were married and da, da, da. You know, you have these images and pictures and assumptions about your parents. And then as I grew older and I found out about their adolescence and what it was really like, um, you know, I was like, what? Like, you know, yeah. I, I had, I never <laughs> looked at my parents in, in that way. Um, but I, you know, learning about their temptations and what they went through and, and even, you know, just, just like I did, you know, they were going through, 
you know, and a different generation, different time, the exact, the exact same thing I was going yes. through or I went through. The struggle. The struggle. Yes. So I, I, 100%, it would seem like just from what I know and what I hear that the sexual, being a sexual being, I don't care if you're 80 or 18, you know, we all, we, we were all created by God with this desire, but I do believe, and I have seen, I mean, one of the privileges uh, of my, one of my jobs right now is I have been counseling a lot of people. It seems like younger, the younger generation gravitates toward me. So 25, I would say 25 to 35 and several Mm -hmm. of these girls are single and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, just, just the things that they are experiencing, uh, going through. I mean, I'm not 25 to 35, but I am a single woman and Mm -hmm. the struggles, the anxiety, the temptations, um, that they have are different. And I have to really believe that the way they were raised and the things that they had access to growing up, like the internet and Instagram and uh, uh, Facebook and all that, has really made it sexting, um, you know, sending nudes, all the things. I mean, they've been doing these things since they were early, early adolescents. Yes. And, and so by the time they're 25, if you've been looking at pornography and sexting since you were 13, it's, you become so desensitized. I just look at, um, I look at the things that they struggle with or that they do. And I, you know, it's so easy for me to look, look at their lives and think, oh my gosh, like I would have never done that, but Uh I didn't grow up. I didn't grow up with a phone and I didn't grow up with the option to send a guy a nude and I didn't grow up with pornography. I've never seen pornography in my entire life. I don't, I don't, I've never watched it. I've never seen it. And yet this is, this is real. I mean, and it's yeah. not a guy thing anymore. This is a no, 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 people thing. All. Yes. And so how is that impacting, how is that impacting the carelessness, the casualness, the promiscuity? What is that doing to young people and sex? How do they even ever take it seriously? Yes. So it, it puts grease on the slippery slope. So... <laughs> It, it's really hard yeah. to, you know, move up to this not only concept, but experience of sacred sexuality. Yeah. You know, um, names of books are interesting. Uh, we ended up with the title of Sanctified Sexuality. Um, I was actually pushing for the title of Elevating Sexuality. <laughs> So the publishers end up getting the final word on on what the title is. But I love the idea of elevating sexuality. Mm -hmm. And it's real different than deifying sexuality. Mm -hmm. See, because when we're deifying sex, we're trying to have sex do something that sex wasn't designed to do. Mm -hmm. And that's so common. 
yep. that's going on right now. And it becomes like a reaction to the other side of the slippery slope where we're repressing sexuality or, or you know, people grew up with the don't do it thing mm -hmm. and it's all bad or it's all good and don't do it. And so it's a it's a kind of an easy pendulum swing to go to deifying and, and trying to have sex do for you what it wasn't designed to do. And and so we are whole people. We are sexual beings, but we're just not simply a sexual being. Mm -hmm. And so it's very common that we try to meet non-sexual needs sexually. Mm. Ooh, I love that. Will you say that again? That's, yes, it's I, a very that's really common good. slippery slope yep. outcome yep. that we try to meet non-sexual needs sexually. And what does that look like, Dr. Barnes? And so I know what you're um, saying. I know, I think yeah, I know. So let's so let's, let's talk about that. Two very different, very universal human needs that we have. And that's a need for personal security okay. and a need for personal significance or a sense of worth or a sense of value yep. or a sense of acceptance, a sense of approval. Mm -hmm. See, those are legitimate, I would say, God-wired needs, not just psychological needs that we have. They're legitimate. They need to be met in the appropriate way. And being sexual beings, we can get this so confused and we can try to meet these non-sexual needs through the strategy of sex. Yep. And it will always make things worse. We lose out on both ends. We lose out on the elevating of what sex could be in an experience and then we also lose out on those needs, those legitimate other needs of actually being met because they, they can't be met that way. Yes. So, and I 100% agree with that. So I, I have to ask though, Dr. Barnes, if that is true and, and research backs that up, and I believe that and I've seen that, and you know that, and you've seen that. Why? Why are, as a society, are we still trying to, to fulfill a non-sexual need with sex? Why do we think that that is going to work? If, if, we, if, if research shows and we know we, meaning we should, know better, why do we keep doing it? Why do people keep doing it? Well, it's our broken natures. Is it just we're, easy? It's we're just an easy incomplete people. We're mm -hmm. we're hurting people. Yeah. We have real needs that are unaddressed. Yeah. Um and and so, you know, I think so much of it is we just are easily misguided. Yeah. And so there's an a internal misunderstanding and misguidedness. Mm -hmm. And then everything around us in terms of what the world is saying are the answers yep. are really misguiding us all the more. Yeah. 
it's and so, so it's an easy formula to uh, get off track on the slippery slope in, in either direction. I have, I have great compassion for people who've struggled on the slippery slope for sure. uh, in, in either direction. Yep, I do too. It's it it's like uh, it's like shopping, you know. It's like for women, it's like shopping, you know. Like I'm, I don't feel good about myself. I can't find anything to wear in my closet. I don't like my body right now, so I'm just gonna run out real quick. I'm gonna buy a two hundred dollars shirt, and I'm gonna feel yeah. better. And in two days, the shirt goes to the back of the closet and, and the perception and the reality of how I feel about myself hasn't changed because yeah. fundamentally nothing has changed. And well, go ahead. The, the, the thing that I would say that adds to it uh, specifically in trying to meet non-sexual needs sexually is sexually we do create a sense of the need being met in the moment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's because biologically right. sex creates an alteration in our brain mm -hmm. that becomes a mood altering experience. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I, I do get this sense of this is working. Right. right there there is that sense that yeah yeah, yeah I, I think this is working this is kind of doing it yeah yeah okay maybe just more of this yeah. will be what i need yeah See? but it's not a sustainable strategy yeah yeah it's like taking a hit of something yeah it feels amazing in the moment but then mm -hmm. uh, what's even and i i'm know you've seen this too is like sex there's so much shame if you have it in that context and it's casual and it's scratching an itch and it's fulfilling it and it's you're using sex to fill a non-sexual need not only does it not fulfill the need you're left with the shame yes of of the sexual encounter that meant nothing yes and that's tough yes and, and that's where we want to really respond with compelling love yeah. to those who are working with that. And, and that's a very workable thing sure. as well. Sure. So we can, because the answer to one side of the slippery slope is not the other side of the slippery slope. Yeah. So, so we need to help people meet them where they are and, and kind of cash cast a vision for elevating a sexuality that is, we would say, by God's design, a flourishing experience personally. Mm -hmm. But even more than that, sex, uh, I think you'll see from the book, becomes from a God-designed perspective something that's bigger than sex. Oh, yeah. Yes, I 100% agree with that. It, it becomes an experiential object lesson to teach us something bigger. Yeah. And it's, I love the C.S. Lewis illustration of the sunbeam. We, you know, we can be, be so captivated by the sunbeam that we miss the greater source of the sunbeam. And, the, and that's where our 
captivation, that's where the elevation really happens. Mm. I really, really, really like that. I've never heard that before from him. Yes, the um, sun being. Let me talk, if we can, just a couple of minutes about sex in marriage, because we've talked a lot of, of, about it a lot outside of marriage. And, and yeah. this is... I could I we should have planned for two episodes because this is just so rich in, in content. But I, you know what, this will just inspire and encourage people to read the book. Which, you know, I'm going to read the book and then I'm going to have you back because I'm going to I'm sure I'm okay. going to have a thousand questions in the margins, and I would love I would really love that if you'd be willing to do that. Yeah, that'd be great. I, I probably should give a disclaimer to you and the audience that that. You know, the book is written as a textbook. Oh, that's good. So I would love you that. have to kind of prepare yourself. It's not a quick, easy read. It's, it's more like a reference book. And we were hoping that, you know, seminaries and universities would adopt this as a textbook so mm -hmm. that we can have a kind of educational ripple effect mm. with it. I love that. I love that that was your goal with it. Because you know what? It really is in the education uh, that we can really, really, really change. We can really change things. So I would really admire that approach. I'll love it anyway because I love this kind okay. of stuff. Um, but I would love to spend a few minutes, if you wouldn't mind, talking about sex in marriage. Yes. Um, love to talk about that. Okay. And why do you, why would you love to talk about that? Well, I, I think that's, um, I actually love to talk about sex and singles too, because okay. we don't want to give the message that you're not a sexual being until you're married. And we also don't want to give the message that sex doesn't have a purpose until you get married. Mm -hmm. They're distinct and separate. Uh, especially in terms of their uh, theological significance. Mm -hmm. And one is not less than the other, right. but they are very different sexual expressions. And so uh, just to kind of highlight the contrast in single sexuality, the thing we need to really help people with uh, is to first get past this barrier that you are a sexual being even though you're single mm -hmm. I and can there attest is to that to... what's that i said i can attest to that yes <laughs> and that also there should be a sexual expression as a single yep well, i can okay? also attest and, to that um <laughs> so you don't have like no sexual expression until you get married now, the, the sexual expression for singles, according to a revealed truth message, we would understand, as, as what we're identifying as social sexuality. And so that would be where the uniqueness of maleness and femaleness are in the exchange without it being a erotic behavior exchange. And what does that but, mean? What does that look like? Yeah. And so sexual sexuality is, um, I think, uh, Doug Rosenau, who did our chapter on that, has another whole book on this. And it's just awesome. And so he, he's really saying that there should be 
an exchange that's not a neutered exchange. It's not like we're just pretending there's not two different sexes here mm -hmm. in this exchange. Mm -hmm. and, and so we bring that exchange into the exchange, and yet it's being stewarded. So in this exchange, there's going to be a sexual tension. There's going to be sexual attractions. There's going to be sexual feelings. Mm -hmm. And you, you don't deny those. You don't like numb them down. Yeah, uh, that and in and of itself is and a sexual experience. You don't experience. avoid one another as a way of saying, I will, by avoiding, then I don't have those feelings. Right. So, so like one of my true real stories, it's kind of funny and sad at the same time, is we talk about this a lot on campus because we have a lot of singles as well as marrieds on the seminary campus. And so like what happens when a single woman steps on an elevator and there's a married man on the elevator and, and the woman very, you know, kindly and courteously says, hey, do you know what time it is? And the guy jumps to the back of the elevator and says, I'm married. <laughs> see, you, you, you see how that becomes so problematic in yep. many, many ways. Yep. And, you know, uh, out of fear of deifying sex, we're like repressing sex. Yep. And we're saying, you know, I can't, I can't be a sexual being. Yep. Uh, and I can't even talk with you. I can't even look you in the eye yep. or I've, else I'm going to have sex with you. I've worked with people like that at the yeah. church. They're so freaked out. It's like, I know. It's I used so to go into sad. the mail room and there would be a male pastor in there and he'd be like, uh, 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 you know, like you couldn't get out. And I really wanted to say, I don't want to have sex with you. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. hey, dude, right. <laughs> you yes, can relax. calm down. <laughs> You're okay. <laughs> I'm not going to even touch you, really. I just want to get my no, mail. but I mean, it brings up the question for him of, are, are you going to seduce me? But yeah. then it also brings up the question of, am I going to attack you? See, so, yeah, a lot of it is about not trusting myself is not, as totally. well as not trusting the other person. I, always thought that dr barnes i always thought yeah what the, what's going on with that guy <laughs> <laughs> it's funny but sad it's, totally it's, you know, totally and, and so um because if you really think about what's the god design part of being a sexual being even when you're single and i would say God's entire plan for sexuality is to give us the experience of the sun being, but to also point us back to the source of the sun being. Yeah. And sexuality, being sexual beings, it gives us this very unique experiential object lesson. It's not just a cognitive concept of what would it mean to experience oneness that's not based in sameness. Mm, mm. Because that's the very definition of the Trinity, mm -hmm. a oneness that is not based in sameness. Yeah, it's really good. And so we have a way of getting a better grasp of that 
not only cognitively, but experientially. And we get, we get an opportunity to grasp that in unique ways as sexual beings as singles, as well as sexual beings as marrieds. Mm -hmm. And so as singles, we have the opportunity to be image bearers of God in a inclusive sexuality of experiencing and demonstrating a oneness that's not based in sameness, but it's not including of what is set aside for covenant marriage relationships that are exclusive relationships. So that, that's the difference. So they both reflect a different dimension of God, his inclusive love, as well as his exclusive love. Mm. And one flesh in marriage is a different expression sexually than one flesh or social sexuality um, in a single inclusive expression. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that all makes sense to me. I mean, I, I have seen, I have seen the effects of, of the good and the bad of, and I'm not, I'm not going to articulate this right, but I have seen the truth in what you just said. Let me just say it like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is, it's very difficult. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's why it's a slippery slope. Yeah. Um, yep. But um, it doesn't mean that we have to slide on the slope because we can experience whether you're in the, in the uh, single sexual image bearer role or in the married sexual in, uh, being image bearer role, uh, we can still, this side of heaven, reflect the elevated sexual experience that God has designed for us to experience. Yeah. And it is such a gift. I mean, it is, it really is such a gift. And I mean, Lord knows I've not been perfect with my sexual, um, relationships and, yes. you know, and, and my past and all that stuff. But, uh, being super casual with sex and careless with sex was just not something that ever came easy for me. Uh -huh. Um, and, and for that, I'm, I'm grateful be, and I, and, and thankfully I've learned from, from, from others, you know, working at the church and counseling people. I have, you know, there's a lot of tears. There's a lot yes. of tears with, uh, with, with painful sexual, uh, decisions. And, yes. you know, which at the time, for whatever reason, and I have, you know, I, I'm like you, I tried really hard to meet people with compassion and love. You know, at the time, they thought, for whatever reason, that this was the best decision, whether it was biological or emotional or, um, mm -hmm. you know, they were hoping for that this was the person. And then, it, you know, it just shatters. And and there's there has... There's a lot of pain. Yes. There is a lot of pain 
with casual, careless um, sexuality. And I mean, I've seen, I've seen, I've, I've counseled couples that are getting married and, you know, the guy watches porn and the girl just hates it and he doesn't want to stop. And she says, you have to stop. I mean, it, from, from, yes. per, from premarital sex to pornography, to sex in marriage, to sex outside of marriage. I mean, there's just, there's a lot of pain around yes. Sex. Yeah, sex, sex is not a humdrum thing. It's, no. it's dynamite. I it like is, that metaphor. It you know, really dynamite is. can be an awesome good thing or mm -hmm. it can be a terrible destructive thing. Yeah. And and yet it's so sacred and it's so precious and and done in the right way at the right time with the right person, it is truly like a, an amazing gift. I mean, I think it's one of God's greatest gifts. Yeah. It, it, it's a very unique and special yeah. sunbeam yes. that he's provided for us. Yes. Yes. Um, okay. So for the last few minutes, Dr. Barnes, I would love to talk about sex and marriage because I okay. have worked with a lot of people and I know you have too, where sex is in marriage, I mean, usually it starts out pretty strong and, you know, going really good. And, yep. and then, you know, because of time or kids or schedules, um, that it, it just kind of loses, it loses it's what it once was. Yes. And, and to me, that's just tragic because I believe that that can take a real toll on the relationship. And yet it's been my experience that when that happens, there's not a lot of communication about it. Um, it just kind of is what right. it is. So instead right. of somebody saying, Hey, we used to like have sex three times a week. It used to be really good. Um, we used to take our time. It used to be a priority and now, you know, we're life and death to have sex twice a month and it's like five minutes and there's not a lot to it. And I really miss it. Like people yeah. do not married people. It seems like oftentimes it's at the elephant in the room. They do not yeah. talk about the issues surrounding sex that are taking place in their marriage. Yes. So let's talk about that. So this is an area that the research, good research, can be very, very helpful, informative, and even corrective and hopeful for us. Good. Let's so hear it. What, what we know, if you just survey couples, is like the top argument starter in marriages, in first marriages, are money topics. But the topic that needs to be talked about the most that is least often talked about is sex. Hmm. That is so interesting to me. I find it yeah. so fascinating. And so um, what we also know is that, and I think we know this theologically as well as psychologically, as they, I like the saying, uh, when it comes to sex, that's when you're most bare naked. <laughs> and that, of course, means more than just the physical sense. Sure, sure. And so uh, that becomes my 
greatest emotional vulnerability. Yeah. Uh, because that's where it's hardest to hide. Yep. And that's where I had my deepest questions of being fully known and fully loved. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's why I mask things. That's why I don't talk about things. Mm -hmm. And it's not really a conscious strategy so much, yeah. although sometimes it may be. But uh, often it's just an unconscious strategy. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think uh, we can see this all the way back to our creation story in the, in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. Uh, if you look at the story of representing the fall, what do we see? We see two people who are choosing apart from God a way that they've been sold is a better way. And they see what the eye, they take with the hand, they eat with the mouth, and yet none of those things get covered. Mm. Isn't that an interesting mm -hmm. thing? Mm -hmm. What gets covered? Mm -hmm. Genitals. Mm -hmm. And I, I checked with our Hebrew scholar on campus, and he says, yes, that's exactly wh what got covered. Yeah. Genitals. Now, what in the world did genitals have to do with it? Yeah. You know, they saw with the eye, they took with the hand, they ate with the mouth. Why didn't they cover those things? Yeah, such a good question. I've never yeah. thought about this See, before. I, I think the answer to that is that was the thing in a physical sense that was most involved in and represented their experience of oneness that is not based in sameness. Mm. Mm. But it goes deeper than just the physical picture. It, it's our who we are as a whole person, who, uh, as a male, as a female. How do we experience oneness not based in sameness with that? Now, there's this sense of shame, this sense of rejection, this sense of if you really knew me, you wouldn't want to be one with me. Mm -hmm. See? And I think that carries over specifically in our areas of dealing with our differences sexually with one another. Now, here's what research also shows. It's a very interesting thing to me. At the beginning of a relationship, out of the newness of a relationship, the brain chemistry changes and we experience a like love cocktail of elevated chemicals and uh, these things do a lot for getting the relationship off the launching pad mm -hmm. okay uh, and one of the things that it does besides really connecting us with one another is it masks our differences in sexual desire levels mm. So at the beginning of a mm -hmm. relationship, sexual desire levels between two people seem pretty similar yep. to one another. Relatively the not, same. Everybody's not fired exactly up. exactly the same, but pretty similar. Yep. Okay. Yep. Now, what happens in a certain amount of time is anybody that stays together, the newness becomes familiar. Yep. And, and when the relationship becomes familiar, 
that brain chemistry goes back to baseline. And so one of the things that also happens when that happens is our sexual desires levels go back to baseline. Mm -hmm. And then we begin to experience a person differently than we experience them at the beginning of the relationship. Yep. And the biggest presenting problem that sex therapists have uh, for prob- uh, for people, couples coming to seek help in their relationship are um, not medically related problems, but it's this thing that researchers refer to as sexual desire discrepancy. And in other words, yeah, what is relative that? to one another, one's a high sexual desire and one's a low sexual desire. And is that common? Is that common in? That's universal. Oh, okay. So relative to one another, mm-hmm. somebody you know, is going to have a higher sex drive. One's going to be other. higher and one's going to be lower. Mm-hmm. And throughout the course of the whole relationship, that might even change within the same couple. It might even flip. Interesting. See, but it's any experience that you have where you're the same sexual desire level is only momentary. It's not lasting. Interesting. Now, here's the other interesting thing from research. If, if you look at outcomes in relationships of marital satisfaction and sexual satisfaction within marital satisfaction, okay, the couples who are reporting marital satisfaction and sexual satisfaction in down-the-road relationships, in other words, they've been in that familiar relationship uh, relationship not the newness of the relationship for some time and what what's a time frame that you would give that for most couples it's a two to three year time period okay right so let's say you're past that three-year time it's familiar our sexual desire levels have shown themselves 80 percent of the time it's the guy who's the high desire but 20% of the time, it's the girl who's the high desire. That's just what the statistics are mm-hmm. about that. Mm-hmm. So it's not always the guy. Um, but this difference will show itself. And there are couples who are down the road after three years who are saying, we still experience sexual satisfaction with one another. It's not because they have the same sexual desire level. Because they don't. Mm-hmm. So what is it? So the difference <laughs> tell us, is tell that us. they have, <laughs> rather than being on autopilot, they've been intentional on how they deal with that difference. Mm-hmm. Now, what's the autopilot? What most couples do, wh- whether it's the male who's the high desire or whether it's the female who's the high desire, the response of the high and the low person ends up being a power exchange around the difference. That's the most common way of dealing with sexual desire discrepancy. That's the autopilot response. Mm-hmm. And so the high desire person is trying to get the low desire person to get up to their level, and the low desire person is trying to get the high desire person to come down to their level. And so there's power dynamics around that. 
Which doesn't if, sound if very only effective. I could get you to be like me, <laughs> then we could be one. Mm -hmm. See, and so it's not about a oneness with difference approach. Mm -hmm. So the the thing that is characteristic of couples who are experiencing sexual satisfaction with the sexual des desire discrepancy is that they're not taking a power approach to dealing with the difference. Mm -hmm. So that, that's number one strategy that they do. Yep. The number two strategy that makes a bad thing worse is what we call attributions. It's meanings that I'm attaching to what I'm observing. Mm. And so mm. when the uh, high desire person mm -hmm. is looking at the low desire person, they're attaching a meaning that's even worse yep. than what the low desire person. And so they would be saying things like, you never want to have sex. You don't like sex. You don't like sex with me. Yeah. Whereas none of those things could be true. See, but I'm operating off of a wrong meaning that I'm attaching to it. Yeah. Then that's even going to make the power dynamic worse and it makes the outcome even yeah. worse. Yeah. But I, you know what? I could see so easily how that could happen because if I'm the high if I'm the one who has a high desire and I am, I am often getting shut down by the person with low desire, it, it would be difficult for me to not attach a, a truth that or my truth to it, which, yes. which is probably not true at all. But it's like that whole Brene Brown, the story I tell yes. myself, the story I tell right. myself because you don't want to have sex with me is that I'm, unattractive, that yes. I'm not good in bed, that you don't like my body, that I'm right. too fat. I mean, you're getting it somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And, and so I get it. I get yes. it. And, and that probably just further. So not now, not only are you not having sex, now you're assigning all of these, uh, these stories uh, right. to, that are not true. That are not true to yes. the reason why Which it's not happening. Which makes the overall relationship all the more stressful. Different. Yeah. Yeah. That's tough. That's really, really tough. And I'm sure a lot of people that are listening, Dr. Barnes, either are experiencing that or have experienced that. And so what, what is the remedy for that? I mean, how do you how do yeah, you so overcome that? It's an easy that? thing to say, but a very hard thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> and that is you don't do what's automatic. Yeah. You don't say to yourself, oh, we got a sexual desire discrepancy. My solution is to change you to be more like me and then we will be one. Mm -hmm. So you don't do that because that's never going to work. Yep. And the more you try, the worse it will be. So you, you do have to kind of release that expectation or hope as the strategy to get you where you want to go. Yeah. Makes sense. Okay. Uh, and then the next thing you have to be able to tell yourself is we can have a mutually satisfying sexual relationship even given two different sexual desire levels. Yeah. 
but we both of us are going to have to lay aside our natural strategies of how we get there. Yeah. And there there will have to be a self-sacrifice from both directions. So it's not going to be like ideal for either person personally, Mm -hmm. but both people are choosing what's best for us. Mm -hmm. But it's a voluntary choosing to move towards the other. It's not the result of a power move. Mm -hmm. And it's also the releasing of the expectation that you have to move all the way to where I am. Yeah, that's good, too. That's good, too. So I, I, re, I like to refer to it as it's the same as in general with the relationship. You have three identities, the you, me, and us. And self has to get out of the way of us in order for us to be protected and to thrive and grow. But at the same time, self can't disappear. So self has to still have yeah. self's voice. But you have your voice in a way where you're moving towards the other person, not against or away from the other person. So just giving, putting this into a real time, and, and I'm going to make an example, and you tell me if I'm, if I'm headed in the right direction. I'm a... Young mom, we have three young kids. You have worked all day. I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted. And I have been changing diapers and running around. Um, I'm breastfeeding. And I don't feel attractive. I've been with the kids all day. You come home. I just tag team, give you. I go shower. I make dinner. Finally, get the ki- put the kids in the bath. Finally, get the and you and my husband is like, so you want to you know get it on whatever it yeah. is he says. How about you have another human <laughs> hanging on your body again? <laughs> right. So I mean, so the me is like, oh my gosh, th- that's like the last thing that I'm yes. interested in. The you or is you definitely want to have sex and, you know, so I, I'm not definitely going to have sex, but I, mm-hmm. I don't want to have sex, but, the, but there's another component and that's the us. So yes. me saying, okay, you know what, honey, like, you know how much I love you and you know how much, how adorable and handsome you think, uh, I think you are. I am so tired. I'm so yes. tired and I, I really yes. just want to go to bed, but you know, and I know you have an early day tomorrow, so why don't we set the alarm for 6am and I promise we're going to have an amazing morning. Yeah. Is that a good, so that's one option. Us See, solution. So that's one option. Um, uh, and, and so what on the overall average, what you would want to have is each person is feeling like the other person is moving towards them. So Mm -hmm. it's not always the one person moving in the other person's direction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. See? So so the husband could say the same thing. It could change, you know, from day to day, week to week in terms of who's moving towards who. Yeah. But as long as that dance is happening. It has to be an overall takeaway of we're both moving towards each other. Yeah, that's really... I and love that has when you to be say a that. Voluntary, not not 
a uh, I'm just manipulated into doing it your way right. kind of a thing right. in either direction. See, that's that's what works against. That's a sex killer. Yeah, that is a sex power killer. generates anxiety, which actually works contrary to a good sexual response cycle. Yeah. So good, you know, and, and, you know, we're talking about sex, but that's just great marriage advice with everything. It's like, the same, yes, it does carry over. It does. There's a me, there's a you, and there's an yeah. us. And, and I got to be for me and I want to be for you. And I, and my goal is that I'm always for us. And so moving yes. in that direction, always taking care of me, but moving towards us, knowing that us has to be a factor as well. And, you know, I, it's such a simple formula, Dr. Barnes, that is, that, that is a marriage saver. You know, that is a merit, that is a simple, simple concept that could save your marriage on every front. And yet it is so incredibly difficult to do. Yep. I could go home tonight and have a hard time with it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and yet you've been talking about it all day but in that office. But I still believe it to be true. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Isn't that funny? Oh, gosh. I think of that all the time. Like, wait, I just counseled three people and told them, and I just blew it. <laughs> okay, Dr. Barnes, how do we buy your book? How do we get, the, how do we get this book? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I'm going to have to get back with you on that. The publisher of the book is Kriegel. Okay. And that's K-R-E-G-E-L, Kriegel Academic. Like I said, it's a textbook. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm sure it'll be available through Amazon. Uh, I'm not sure the timing of that. Okay. Well, um, I'm definitely getting, well, I'm getting my copy from you. and I'm dropping one off. Well, I really... I really want one and, um, and I'm going to read it and then I want you back because I'm going to have, I'm going to have a lot of questions. I love this topic. I believe in it so much. Um, I believe in it so much through my own life, my, my own, you know, wins and my own losses and, and mistakes and, um, you know, and, and great choices. I mean, and then all the people that have sat in my office over the years and just all the, all the couples that I've, I've done their premarital counseling. I mean, sex is such, it's it's so powerful. Yes. It's dynamite. It is dynamite. I love that you say that. And, (laughs) and yet there's so much, we just still don't know. And I mean, I tell my kids all the time, if you think that you can have casual sex, you're crazy. There's n- yeah. there's no such thing. I mean, it's just, it's too complex uh, for that. And um, so I, I so appreciate you, Dr. Barnes. I, I appreciate your approach. I appreciate your wisdom. I really appreciate the way that you use, um, the way that you marry God, compassion, grace, and research. I, I, it just really speaks to me. And yeah. so well, thank you. Thank, thank you for you the way you go I about think it. We have a mutual admiration society going <laughs> here. Well, Appreciate all you're doing, oh, and especially the opportunity for us to talk about this. Yeah, it's awesome. And I can't wait to have you back. So thank you, Dr. Thank you Franz. Up. I'll talk to you soon. 
Have a okay. great week. Okay. Bye. Bye.